0: This is a 980 CKNW podcast.
1: Hola, que tal? I'm Leonardo Coelho, in my and this is the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. On the pod today, Madeline Shaw, social entrepreneur and author of the book, The Greater Good, discusses entering 2022 with nine months of sobriety. Plus, Maureen McGrath explains which masks your kids should wear and possible mobility issues if you get COVID-19 over the age of 50. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts Now. you got questions she's got answers the nurse is in for nurse talk
0: welcome back to the sunday night health show thanks so much for joining me this evening you know with the new year lots of people make new year's resolutions they try to anyway lots of people decide to change their lives you may have decided to change your life last year well my next guest did just that She decided to enter 2022 with nine months of sobriety. She is none other than Madeline Shaw. She's a social entrepreneur and the author of the book, The Greater Good. Good evening, Madeline. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Maureen. It's my absolute pleasure. Oh, that's so great. You know, congratulations on nine months of sobriety. That's wonderful.
1: Oh, thanks, friend. Thank you so much. You, I really appreciate that. You
0: are so welcome. What a tremendous accomplishment that is. And and also to share your story for others who might feel that alcohol is taking up too much mental real estate or, or for whatever reason, they might be struggling um, sharing your story. You know, we empower others when we do that. So I'm very, very grateful to you. So tell me, Madeline, um, what made you decide to, lead a sober life, if you will, put, put the wine in the past. Yeah. I mean,
1: it was, it was so, so many things, but um, alcohol just in so many ways was just kind of chipping away at me, I would say. And, you know, over the years, sort of my, my intake gradually, like very gradually increased, but what changed and what I really kind of, um, I noticed the most was it, it thinking about it, just, thinking about drinking it even rhymes um you know the disproportionate amount of time and anxiety um that I was thinking like oh ew, how much wine is in the house or oh you know is there is that bottle of wine going to be enough to go around the table in this restaurant or you know uh, uh, just umteen little or anticipating drinking you know if I'm driving home from work I'm, going, oh, I'm really looking forward to having a glass of wine it's like it really, and then I started to worry about it. I'm like, Am, do I have a drinking problem? Or do I not have a drinking problem? And this kind of yo-yo sort of anxiety. And then meanwhile, what really accelerated things was hitting menopause. Because so many things were changing about my body and my ability to handle alcohol, like just to process, it just sort of went out the window. And um, especially around the issue of sleep. So it was sort of, a combination of all of those things that just feeling like I really, really don't want to have this in my life anymore. But then um, struggling like it went. I realized pretty quickly that, you know, having said that I was a take it or leave it kind of person who never left it, by the way, um, when I actually tried to quit, it was hard. And so that's how I knew that I had a problem because there was this kind of pushback. It was almost like I had an inner voice telling me
0: uh, that I should drink. Interesting. You know, you mentioned alcohol taking up too much uh, real estate in your head. I've had patients who have suffered injuries as a result of drinking too much. Um, Also, the next day, they basically would lose a day or they wouldn't be as productive. And so they realized that alcohol was just taking up too much time um, in their life. And they were losing, you know, effectively two or three days. You mentioned that you had some effects on sleep. Um, w- oh, my. When you say menopause struck, and, um, you know, that the sleep is a big issue for women who are experiencing menopause, a natural transition. Uh, let me just get that in there. Um, but, you know, sleep can also affect how you are the next day, but a headache or a dry mouth or other issues that occur uh, can also affect a woman's or a person's life.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, just I cannot tell you, like, Maureen, going from drinking a glass or two of wine a day to drinking nothing nine months later, like my energy is through the roof. Like, I can't tell you it made such a big difference, like going from kind of I'll call it a very low grade hungover state of just feeling a bit sluggish or a little kind of, you know, fuzzy around the edges or whatever. Especially um, on nights where, like I said, with with menopause setting in where, you know, I'd probably wake up in the middle of the night because the, the alcohol disturbed my sleep and then go back to sleep for maybe an hour and then I'd be awake with hot flashes. So I was just in this kind of sleep deprived, irritable, low energy state um, and now not drinking. I sleep through the night every night. I feel amazing. I feel clear. i um, I don't have any of that sluggish kind of irritable edge to me anymore. I just feel calm and happy. Like it's really had a powerful impact on my mental health as
0: well. And and, you know, alcohol is so socially acceptable and it's certain, certain you've experienced that. And you know, people who drink want others to drink along with them, you know, it's party time, anytime, basically. Uh, how much did that impact your life? I know you're out there. I've seen you at events before the pandemic. Um, you know, uh, did you feel this social pressure as well?
1: Um, I would say yes, but at that point, like I was already so fully socialized to be a drinker. Like I've I've consumed alcohol since I was you know, a teenager. And, you know, it's part of my family, it's part of my friend group, it's it's part of any celebration, you know, any, it's just so normalized. And so I wouldn't say I felt pressure so much as just everybody was doing it. Like it was sort of maybe invisible social pressure or whatever, like the pressure sets in actually when you stop drinking mm-hmm. and then people are like, you don't, you, why aren't you drinking? Are you okay? You know, are you sick? Um, certainly not going to be pregnant at my age um but there's kind of like you almost have to rationalize not drinking whereas drinking is is way more socially acceptable and you know even finding something to drink if you're if you're not drinking um although this is changing a lot is harder like you know i was at a restaurant the other day and and they just had like a shirley temple or or, you know, Coke or whatever. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you give me, at least I'll give me a, a, a non-alcoholic beer. Like, come on. Right. Um, but
0: but yeah, there's no, lots more mocktails. It's, it's yeah, lo- lots more mocktails coming on the market. Lots of people are getting into it. I saw Blake Lively is, is getting into it um, because alcohol doesn't agree with her, she said. And, and she likes to be festive and fun and, and wants a, a festive and fun drink. There is also this culture, Madeline, about mommy Um, the mommy wine and wine o'clock. You know, there is an association of uh, cancer, different types of cancers between alcohol and and cancer. So cancers of the mouth, throat, larynx, liver, esophagus, colon, rectal, breast cancer, uh, pancreas, you know, all sorts of... And I don't think women realize that the risk is greater actually for women because of the uh, percentage of water in a woman's body. But what are your thoughts on this whole mommy drinking culture? In order to raise our kids, we need to be drunk essentially?
1: Yeah, I think it's awful and really, really, really harmful. And um, but also, I guess you know, being a mom is hard, right? Like I'd like to start there. Like, you know, when women are feeling exhausted, when they're feeling the burden of childcare, especially in the pandemic, um, and trying to earn a living and, you know, perhaps caring for aging parents and, and, and like the, the load is huge. So, you know, the segment of moms is yeah, it really irritates me that they've been so targeted by the alcohol industry, because basically what their consumption of alcohol is doing is depleting them of their vitality, their energy and their health. But not really like nobody's doing anything to help them. So right. I want to acknowledge that their pain is real. And the fact that they're seeking kind of a break or kind of a little kick their heels back kind of thing with alcohol makes all the sense to me in the world. What is unconscionable is how the alcohol industry has just so brazenly done that. I mean, they even have the gall to have like market certain kinds of alcohol that give back, quote unquote, to breast cancer and stuff. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like alcohol causes breast cancer most women most people don't know that it's um as carcinogenic as it is like all the parts of the body that you just listed um as the top sort of forms of cancer that are associated with alcohol if you think about it touch it, every part if you take a swallow of alcohol as it travels through your body that's the list that you just gave me
0: mm-hmm. Absolutely. like from
1: from mouth to throat to stomach to you know whatever all the rest of it And the incidence of breast cancer, the correlation there, is just stratospherically high, and yet the alcohol industry um, persistently seeks to hide that.
0: Absolutely. Not to mention um, early onset dementia and Alzheimer's disease as well. You know, when, when we fall asleep at night after a few glasses of wine, your CSF or cerebral spinal fluid is is bathed in um, the alcohol and that goes to your brain and that is a contributing factor to um, cognitive decline. Madeline, I'd like you to stay on the line. We're going to go to break. I want to talk to you about how difficult was it for you to stop drinking and if you needed any support during that time, like a, a 12-step process program, for example. I know there are varying degrees of alcohol use disorder um, from there to alcoholism, and there's many gradations on that. So I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into that. My guest is Madeline Shaw. She is choosing sobriety, which more and more people are choosing that. Madeline is a social entrepreneur and the author of the book, The Greater Good. Thank you so much for being here this evening, Madeline. I really appreciate it. It's my absolute pleasure, Maureen. Now, you mentioned that... Nine months ago, you decided to give up drinking, drinking alcohol. Mainly you were uh, drinking wine and you said you've been drinking since you were a teenager. So for the listeners out there who might be considering this for themselves, they might have might have heard or might feel that alcohol is taking up too much mental real estate for them. They're losing productivity. They're not feeling that great. They m- might be entering perimenopause or menopause and, and alcohol is having a different effect on them. Um, how easy was it for you to give up alcohol and did you need to go to a support program?
1: Yeah, um, giving up alcohol was not easy for me, not in all caps. Um, it was hard. And, and just for context, so prior to the nine month, my quit date of April 14th, um, 2021, I had been trying for years. So I was having periods of intermittent sobriety. So I've, I've done dry January for, I don't, I don't know, probably four or five years now. I did a 100-day challenge in uh, 2020 um, as another sort of let's try this out and see how it goes um, kind of thing. I have read books like you wouldn't believe. Um, I have probably read a dozen books at least on the topic of um Alcohol and addiction and sobriety and recovery and, and that was immense to me and as well as joining online communities. So I do, it's funny, earlier today I attended a meeting of a group called the Luckiest Club, uh, that is an online sobriety, um, recovery support meeting that I love. And it's just been, it was pivotal to me actually in my recovery. Um, the first meeting I attended was on April the 14th. Um, 2021. And, but I didn't know that was going to be my last day. Like I was kind of in one of my dithering, like, you know, this week, next week, like kind of waiting for a sign and, um, and struggling and going back and forth and which, uh, you know, there's the the, the mental real estate example that I shared earlier, right? Like just the stress of it and the anxiety of it. And what am I doing this and what does this all mean? Um, And I got to the meeting and I found that just being in the presence of other people, in a very way where there were no labels, there's no set kind of program, there's no religious component, there's no, like, anything like that. Um, I just loved it. It felt incredibly freeing. And um, for me, I would say a good half of my journey. It's like, yes, alcohol is the substance, and, you know, I have an addiction issue with it, and that's one thing. But the other thing is wrestling with feelings of shame Mm -hmm. about that. And because shame is so it's so limiting and it's so kind of devastating and it really actually prevents people, I believe, from sharing with others and for saying, hey, I I need help or I'd like to share my story or I have questions even. Right. Um, So being in the atmosphere of this meeting um, just kind of gave me permission to sort of bring all of my confusion and anxiety and anger and fear and just everything. And it was all okay. It was like, yeah, it's okay. You're one of us and we're all here to get better together and figure it out. And we're just a bunch of human beings who sort of fell into a trap and we're helping each other to get out of that trap. And it was such a beautiful feeling. And there was a woman on the call. Her name was Hope. And I just, she was celebrating her, her one year of sobriety that day. And I just wanted to be her so badly. I just thought, and how wonderful that she was named Hope. Right. And so, you know, having that opportunity of having kind of a role model and seeing that it was possible and that other people were also struggling the way I was struggling. And that, you know, just feeling a sense of connectedness and community um, was absolutely central to my recovery.
0: And what was your shame related to? Was your shame related to having, you know, having to give it up or drinking or some things that may have happened? Oh, just happened? The,
1: yeah, the whole social construct around being a quote unquote alcoholic in our culture, and I, I find the word alcoholic to be highly stigmatized. And you know, with all due respect for people who, who claim it, you know, at the beginning of AA meetings, famously, people say, "Hey, I'm my my name's so and so, and I'm an alcoholic," and everybody says, "Hi, so and so," and and it's like that's so great. Like that one thing alone is just like take that, you know, shame, um, but for me, the word was problematic. Like, I didn't know how to speak about, I didn't want to feel ashamed. Uh, Like, to me, it's almost like alcoholism, alcohol use disorder, as it's more correctly referred to as, is something that carries a lot of shame in our society. It's almost seen as a moral failing as opposed to an addiction issue. And so it was really that, that I had, you know, Felt like I'd failed at at drinking. I quote, "Could not drink or wasn't drinking correctly or responsibly or whatever." Whereas in fact, you know, alcohol is a highly addictive substance, and that I became addicted to, you know, duh, and um, and needed help with dealing with that, just like anybody would need to
0: help with dealing, you know, with any other
1: personal
0: issue. Absolutely, it is a medical failing it is. It's a medical, a what no, I it's a medical yeah. condition, absolutely. And and giving it up allows you to embrace life in in such a much Better manner, I would imagine, and and anyone else who is struggling with any substance use um, or or abuse, it can be shopping. It, you know, addiction comes in many forms. Unfortunately, the first one that comes to mind is alcohol and drugs, um, but you know, work can be an addiction, and shoes can be an addiction, chocolate. So, um, but you know, it's just it's just wonderful that you've um, reached this nine month mark, and it's not too far down the road. How has your life? Uh, changed uh, quickly, if you don't mind, some kind of high level. What what is so much better about living a sober life uh, than prior to that?
1: Well, I got all that mental real estate back, and which you know, I've I've written a book. Um, I I just I feel better in every way. I sleep better. I have more energy. I'm calmer. I laugh more. I'm, I have more money. I, you know, <laughs> like, there's nothing bad about it. Like everything about it. I just, I'm so glad that I've kind of got this monkey off my back. I feel more like myself It's just the best way of putting it because this thing isn't kind of, like I said, chipping away at me, chipping away at my, you know, energy levels. And I just feel more capable of dealing with my life and, You know, showing up as a parent, as a daughter, I, you know, I just, I have a lot going on in my life and I just feel like I'm able to bring more of myself and more energy.
0: To all of it, and it feels wonderful. Well, I feel free. Well, you sound fantastic, Madeline, and I'm so happy for you. Congratulations, and best of luck to you as you continue on this sobriety path, and as, as people continue to make um, fancier and more festive mocktails <laughs> in the future. I think that's a growing industry, um, so that's fantastic, and um, I really appreciate you coming on, and, and you've written an amazing book as well, and I just want to, for the listeners, where can uh, people purchase your book? Where can they find that book?
1: Oh, thanks, Maureen. Yeah, the book is, um, yeah, it's called The Greater Good, Social Entrepreneurship for Everyday People Who Want to Change the World. It's a bit of a long title, but it gives you a better idea of what it's about. You can buy it pretty much anywhere online. You can buy it at Indigo. You can order it at your local bookstore. Um, you can or ask for it at your local library. Uh, yeah, it's um, anywhere even large companies <laughs> that I don't like to name, where you can buy books, are carrying it, and people can learn more at my website, and that's at GreaterGood dot
0: And that's wonderful, Madeline. Thank you so much once again. I really appreciate it. We'll get you back when you're um, at the year April fourteenth, <laughs> right you around bet. that time. I can't wait, Maureen. All right, take care. Thank you so much. That's Madeline Shaw, author of the book The Greater Good. She is a social entrepreneur. and Talking a lot about masks these days, and you know, there was a while ago that uh, masks weren't even recommended, but now they certainly are, especially with kids heading back to school. But uh, we don't really know a lot about masks. Lots of confusion around masks. What type of masks should your kids? Where? Well, just a little background. Masks are a fantastic way to reduce COVID-19 in school. So if your kids are going back to school, keep in mind a mask is a great idea because masks help to stop the virus from getting into the air if the person who is wearing the mask is infected. And, and as we know, COVID-19 is airborne. So it, those masks help protect people from breathing in the virus that is in the air. An effective mask has two things. It has... Filtration and it has a good fit. And good fit is very important. And what I mean by good fit is that it is uh, snug to your face. It covers your nose and your mouth. A lot of people wear it around their chin. No, no, no. Um, so you want to make sure, and, and just nothing irks me more than when I see somebody with their mask covering just their mouth, and it's, it's down below their nose. So make sure that your kids wear their masks around their nose as well. Um, elastic head straps will generally provide a better fit than ear loops. And, and sometimes there are some bands that you can get that pull those straps a little bit in case they are tugging on Johnny's ears just a little bit too tight. The, the filtration blocks the viruses from getting through the mask. And the highest quality mask that will be comfortably worn is better than no mask at all. Okay, so if your child is upset or crying or whatever, it doesn't feel good, just make sure that you keep that in mind that any mask is better than no mask. Typically, people younger than two years of age do not need to wear a mask because there is a risk of suffocation. And I don't think we talk a lot about that. So that's why you'll see the kids under age two not wearing that. So I just want to review some of the masks, the different types of masks Um, The KF94, the KN94, you can have a medical mask or a cloth mask. So the most effective masks are the KF94s, the KN95s, a double mask, and then an N95 for older children if they have been fit tested for that. Because once again, you have to make sure that it fits snug to the face. The next most effective is the medical mask or a surgical mask, which is the blue one that you've seen uh, paraded around on. I'm sure many media uh, programs. So, and and then the least effective is the cloth mask. But I, I do want to mention that you know a surgical mask with a cloth mask on top can be very effective, um, but more so adults would would wear that. KF94s and KN95s are both available in children's sizes, and they have both good fit and good filtration. And make sure those ear loops as well are sized for a snug fit. So you want to make sure you check the reviews online before you purchase online because there are a number of counterfeit KN95s on the market. The N95s, which are more for healthcare providers and they need to be fit tested. Um, they will not fit smaller faces. So I would say take those right out of the equation. and um, but you can sometimes use reuse these masks over a few days, but check the manufacturer's guidelines for that. Um, The surgical masks or the medical masks, they're disposable face masks. They have kid sized surgical masks. They provide good filtration, but they actually don't provide a very tight fit. And the fit of a surgical mask, as I mentioned, can be improved with a simple modification, which is tying a knot on the ear loops to create that more snug fit or you can use, um, it, it's called a mask brace actually and it's a device that's put um, behind the head and that will pull um, those ear loops a little bit tighter. Then there's the cloth mask. If fabric masks or cloth masks can help reduce the spread of COVID-19 but they might have both poor fit and poor filtration and that's why you don't want to use them as your first choice. Effective kid size fabric masks have two layers of tightly woven fabric. And then there's a third layer of non-woven woven woven fabric that uh, is made of polypropylene. There's a nose wire and all these masks actually have a nose wire, which I didn't mention before. And that will help to reduce the gaps around the nose. And then uh, cloth masks often have an adjustable Ear loop, But it's very important that your child wear a mask in school or when they're going off to other activities or even if they're coming with you to the grocery store um, or running errands, going into the doctor's office. So, you know, especially in time of Omicron, but during this pandemic, we've learned it is very important that kids... Wear their masks as well. Being in school is very, very critical for development, for growth and development. It's important that schools have good air filtration systems as well and HEPA filters, MERV 13 or greater filtration uh, systems. And so because it is airborne, you want to keep the windows open or make sure that your school has uh, good air filtration. Uh, you know, sometimes they need to be upgraded. And and oftentimes we can, though, use air scrubbers and air purifiers. Those are extremely helpful to clean the air as well. And they will actually kill up to 99% of viruses, including the coronavirus. So Uh, masks. Again, I hear a lot of misinformation about masks all over the place. So I just thought it would be important to provide you with that information about masks so that uh, you're wearing your mask and your children are wearing your mask. And, you know, it's to protect others. There's a lot of things that we do like getting vaccinated that protects us from uh, increased burden of disease, hospitalization and death. So that's something we do for us, washing our hands that's also something we do for us and for other people, and and wearing a mask. We, you know, there is some evidence to support that it does help you, but we're also helping other people. Should you be infected with COVID nineteen and not realize it, because you can have an asymptomatic case, you can have no symptoms, but you can still test positive on uh, on a uh, COVID test. Uh, for COVID 19 without even realizing that you're sick. And you know, many people who have ne- never been sick, they may have actually had COVID 19, but it's always best to ensure that uh, you, if you are sick, go get a test. If you have any of the symptoms, sore throat, fever, headache, fatigue, muscle weakness, and just anything that, you know, where you feel untoward, you don't feel quite yourself. You know, it could actually be COVID. I I have a patient who had a very, um, she had very significant menstrual cramps. I said, go get a COVID test. She did. She tested positive and she actually was this before vaccines and she became quite ill. So lots of things to do. Don't mingle with the public. Don't eat in restaurants if you can prevent it, um, you know, and also just eat outdoors or support restaurants through takeout, especially during this time. Hopefully Omicron is going to surge and we're going to see, start to see that U-turn. We are seeing the U-turn in some cities on the East coast, which is very good news. And some of the modeling does show that as well uh, in Canada. So, Hopefully we have a few more weeks of this, but uh, nonetheless, during this time and maybe even afterwards, a lot of people have really appreciated, myself included, not getting sick all winter, which is really nice, added benefit of wearing a mask. So I don't know, we might be wearing masks for the rest of our lives. Anyway, I'm Maureen McGrath. Hey, you look younger when you have a mask on. <laughs> don't fret. You know, there's a lot of talk about COVID-19 all the time and how everybody is going to get this new variant. And so we might as well just carry on with it and expose yourself and start living our lives again and get COVID. Well, not if you're over the age of 50. It turns out, even if you have a mild case of COVID-19, that can actually result in higher Chances of decreased mobility for you and decreased physical function. And that is in particular related to people over the age of 50. 50 is young. So imagine starting to have physical decline As you turn 50, you reach that half century mark where, you know, maybe the kids have left for university or college and, you know, you're feeling free again. You're starting to perhaps rekindle the relationship with your spouse or partner or somebody new in your life. You want to get out there. You want to start getting physically active. You want to have your New Year's resolutions, whatever it is, start to lose weight. And you realize, hey, I just don't have the stamina that I had before. This study was published in the journal of American Medicine Network, Open. And it looked at data on the mobility of more than 24,000 Canadians that were of advancing age. And that is actually the number one comorbidity. People don't realize that. So, you know, I've been one to be saying all along, you don't want to get COVID. You don't want to risk long-haul COVID symptoms, and you certainly don't want to risk your good mobility and good physical function. Uh, to COVID. And so I say that's why it's still incredibly important not to mingle with the public, to wear your mask and up your mask, either a surgical with a cloth mask over it to increase the fit, to improve the fit, or a KN95 or a KN94, and for healthcare providers only an N95 because they actually need to be fit tested. But getting back to those who contracted COVID-19, uh, people had about a two-fold higher odds or chances of having a worsening of their mobility or their physical function. So twice as likely to have this impact your physical function. And and that was notable. That was a, a very significant finding in this particular study. And and the things that people were having difficulty with, it's, it's not like, you know, an Ironman or a triathlon. They were having difficulty doing their chores. Now, a lot of you might say, fantastic, I hate doing housework anyway. But uh, but no, but they were also having difficulty walking up and down stairs. That could actually relate to your residence, to where you live. You might actually, and that might cost you a lot of money, you might actually have to sell your house and try to find something in the same area Uh, for less money, which is very difficult to do, especially in any of the Canadian real estate markets. So people had difficulty walking up and down stairs. And then the other one was uh, standing up from sitting down in a chair and a lot of people are working they're working from home they're spending a lot of time in a chair and you know they they go to go up to get up and they realize that they can't and 94% of those who had covid in this particular study didn't have a serious case they had a mild case of covid so i i it drives me crazy when i hear people say oh omicron is mild or it's just like the flu it's just mild no omicron is less virulent but um it can still cause you a lot of problems. And we're also learning that COVID-19 is a vascular disease. So it can impact your kidney function. It can impact your heart function. It can impact your cardiovascular status, your your blood pressure. Some people who never had hypertension before, high blood pressure, are realizing that they have high blood pressure now. And so 94% of those who had COVID-19 in this particular study did not have a serious case. They had what we call, as I said, already a mild case. Only seven people reported that they had been hospitalized at some point due to this virus. So people who have mild to moderate COVID-19, this study underscores the fact that there is still a risk for mobility problems. And you know, it is so important to keep moving as you age, keep walking, swimming, bike riding, and, and be careful, wear your helmet, take a Every precaution. (laughs) You know, the other day I was meeting a friend for coffee at a place that I'd never been before. We were having our coffee outside just to keep that in mind, um, which is what I do. I don't eat in restaurants. I don't uh, I just don't take the risk because I don't want to have any type of COVID-19 because I don't want to risk long haul. I certainly don't want to risk any physical activity, but I was I was walking along, and and you know there there were no blockades up, there was nothing. You know, you can attribute this that I'm blonde, perhaps. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm walking along, and I looking at the lights and the trees, and it was beautiful. And then I see this sign that says uh, "skating rink exit," and I thought, oh, they must actually. You know, pour water on this area and turn it into a skating rink. And no sooner did I have that thought than—and I'd already walked thirty feet on this skating rink—and did I slip? I was in three-inch heels boots uh, <laughs> because I was, you know, tired of wearing the slippers and the heavy socks. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not going to. If I'm going to meet somebody, I'm going to actually, you know, dress halfway decent. So I put on my my new boots, and they were the wrong choice, obviously. And I slipped, I went back and fell on a fairly well padded area. Thankfully, I have some of those. And, uh, and also I did hit the back of my head. Fortunately, I didn't hit my head from, uh, from a high place. I hit it from about, you know, three inches from the ice. So I realized that I was actually on ice. Anyway, um, so you never know when you are going to slip and fall, and, and that can have an impact on you. Uh, fortunately, I've had no sequela as a result. I mean, you know, big change in personality, but, you know, aside from that, you know, that, that could be a good thing. <laughs> anyway, um, but I was having my MOA, my, uh, he- my assistant, my medical office assistant, uh, <laughs> at, you know, just checking for any bruises or, you know, d- should I... You know, anyway, I was teasing, saying you're practically a doctor, so why don't you tell me um, how I am? But you know what? You don't want to have that worry, and and I had a little bit of a worry, thinking, oh, you know, I've hit my head. But when I, you know, did an assessment and and I did speak to my physician, I, uh, you know, I realized that, um, you know, I, I'm I'm okay. Uh, so it, it's uh, <laughs> still knock on wood. You never know though, because you can, if you hit your head, you know, there's a risk of a bleed, lots of different things that can occur. But but my point of this whole segment is that. Uh, if if I did had had COVID and even a mild case and and perhaps I had some long haul symptoms and then I go and fall on a on a skating rink that I don't even realize is there, um, you know it can it can change your life. It's it's life altering. So we still need to remain extremely careful with COVID, do not take any chances. It's not mild, it's less virulent, and that makes a big difference. And still, some people are going to end up in the hospital. And um, and it could actually have an impact on your quality of life, according to this study. So beware. The study was published in the Journal of uh, American Medicine Network Open uh, last week. So Anyway, have a look for that if you want further details, but, uh, but be careful, continue to wear your mask, get vaccinated, don't mingle with the public, uh, you know, because you could also get somebody else sick as well. Anyway, well, thank you uh, so much and um, stay with me.